This morning at Emmaus is tattoo morning uh, at Emmaus. And no, I do not want to see your tattoo. So uh, thank you for that. But uh, if anybody after the service comes up and shows me mysterious tattoos, we're not going to be doing that. But we went to Calgary, Canada a couple of weeks ago on a mission trip. And we got there and the guy who was starting the church uh, Chris Flora, the guy who's starting the church there, we walk in and meet him. He has a tattoo around his, his forearm that has the name of Jesus there. Word to the wise, don't get a tattoo in a foreign language unless you know that language. It's very popular for young Christians especially to get a tattoo in Hebrew or Greek, and they don't know Hebrew or Greek, and don't, don't put yourself in that situation. But uh, Chris has this tattoo around his forearm that has the name of Jesus there. And we walked in, and first thing he tells us is a story about how he had been at the Apple Store a couple of hours before, and that tattoo had led to a gospel conversation with the person who was helping him there at the Apple Store. And so, seeing the way that the Lord uses that, we're asking the question in a roundabout way this morning, how does our understanding of what we talked about last week in Colossians chapter 2 tie in to what we put on our body and what we put in our body. Now, I want to be very clear. What we're doing this morning is not a sermon based on Colossians chapter 2. It's going to, that's going to be what we did last week. It's going to be the foundation. But this would be very bad exegesis. It would be very bad handling of Scripture if you came away thinking this was a sermon based on Colossians chapter 2. It's actually based on 1 Corinthians chapter 6. So if you're looking for a place to turn in your Bible that we're going to get to in about 15 minutes, it's going to be 1 Corinthians chapter 6. That's the passage we're going to look at in depth. But we need to lead up to that because what we're doing here at Emmaus is we're going through a series in the book of Colossians. Colossians and Corinthians are easy to get confused if you're new uh, to the Bible, if you're trying to get familiar with your New Testament. When you open your New Testament this morning, I would encourage you to open it to 1 Corinthians, but I'm going to show you some verses on the screen here in a second from Colossians. We're going through a study of Colossians saying, what does it look like to give ourselves fully to the Lord? In your Sunday school classes, you've jumped into Colossians chapter 3 this morning, studying what it is to know Christ's power in our life. The next three Sunday mornings, here's what we're going to do. The next three Sunday mornings... We're going to take a spin off Colossians chapter 2, and we're going to deal with three traditions in church life that can cause confusion about how do we approach that tradition in, a, in light of Christ's lordship in our life. In other words, do we follow the tradition or do we follow Christ? If you come away this morning and all you know about is tattoos, I've done a very bad job. Um, the focus this morning is that, one, you would have a better framework for understanding your Bible. When people ask hard questions and you go to Scripture and you try to find answers and shape those answers throughout all of Scripture, I hope this morning gives you a foundation for how to do that. Secondly, and most important, I hope your heart is drawn more to Christ than ever before. To know who he is, to know what he has done in you, what he desires to do through you, that this conversation, these passages would draw you more to know the power of Christ. 
Here's how we're going to begin. We're going to begin by reading those verses from Colossians. So if you're quick in your Bible and you want to look at Colossians 2, that's fine. But if you want to hold on to 1 Corinthians, that's fine as well. These verses will be up on the screen. Colossians chapter 2, starting in verse 16. Therefore, no one is to act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day, things which are a mere shadow of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. And then in verse 18, let no one keep defrauding you of your prize. No one else acts as your spiritual referee by delighting in self-abasement and the worship of the angels, taking his stand on visions he has seen, inflated without cause by his fleshly mind, and not holding fast to the head from whom the entire body, being supplied and held together by the joints and ligaments, grows with a growth which is from God. And then it goes on in verse 20. If you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, why, as if you were living in the world, do you submit yourself to decrees such as do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, which all refer to things destined to perish with use in accordance with the commandments and teachings of men? And then chapter 2 ends in this way. These are matters which have to be sure the appearance of wisdom in self-made religion and self-abasement and severe treatment of the body, but they're of no value against fleshly indulgence. Let's bow our heads and pray as we begin this time of study of Scripture. Father, we know that we live in a part of the world where it's very easy to look religious, but to never know the power of Christ in us, the hope of glory. Father, I pray that you would set us free from any attempts to make ourselves right with you, that you would set us free from any attempts to fit into a religious mold so that we somehow gain a level of power, but it's never from you. God, set us free from all those things so that we would give ourselves fully to being followers of Christ, that we would know who he is and how he desires to work in and through us. God, I pray this morning that you would shape our hearts and our minds so that our lives would be different when we leave this place. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you got a copy of that bulletin, uh, that handout as we came in, if you want to turn it over to the back, if those notes would be helpful for you. Uh, somebody pointed out that there were no songs listed on the back, so they were afraid the entire service was going to be the sermon this morning. But uh, we just went ahead and uh, left those off because of things going on this week. But those notes will guide you through, through our time together, and you can see the way that this series of sermons is laid out. Just a couple of reminders uh, from, from week one. Number one, we talked about last week, no one can judge you on, pace, on past shadows. In other words, we don't find spiritual fulfillment, we don't find spiritual hope by living on things before or apart from Christ. So we don't, for, we're not forced into the past because we have Christ and he leads us into the future. The second thing is no one can disqualify you based on their experiences. I sent out a tweet this week about an article in Christianity Today that really brought this to the surface. This idea that if your spiritual experience is not like my spiritual experience, you're really not right with Christ. Because if you were right with Christ, you would experience that power in the same way I experienced that power. And we know that those experiences can be so subjective 
and we find ourselves faking spiritual experiences, hoping that we can somehow attain to this level of power with God. No, it's found in Christ. No one judges your relationship with Christ based on your personal spiritual experience. That's not the foundation. We've got to be set free from that. The third thing is no one can force you to live in fear under worldly power and rules. The things of this world, I told you last week about jumping over the third baseline, running to the mound because I didn't want to step on the chalk as if the chalk would mess up my baseball game. None of the things of this world hold spiritual power over us. It is only found in Christ. And so no one can say you have to follow this human rule in order to be made right with Christ, in order to have his hope and power. No, it's found solely in him. Those realities, though, bring two dangers. They bring a Pharisee danger and a prodigal danger. The Pharisees are the religious rule makers and rule followers, and Pharisees come along and they say, yeah, 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 that's good that you have Christ, but make sure you don't have tattoos because religious people don't have tattoos. Or, or make sure you don't eat this, but you do eat this because that's what, that's what real religious people do. People who really follow the Lord, they look like this, they do this, they follow these traditions. That's the danger of the Pharisee. The prodigal comes along and says, you're not the boss of me. I can live life how I want. I'll do with my body what I want. You're not in charge of me. I have freedom in Christ, therefore I'll do whatever I want. Remember, 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 the Pharisee needs Christ and the prodigal needs Christ. And the freedom that we have in Christ is not freedom to do whatever we want to do. The freedom we have in Christ is so that we are set free to live fully for him. So many times we have confusions about what this freedom in Christ means. And does it set me free so I can do whatever I want to? Or do I find myself making up new rules that I have to follow because I'm a rule follower? No, no, we're set free from all of that. But what does it look like to experience that freedom in Christ? I've laid out three verses on the screen that I think are foundational for understanding and making sense of the freedom we have in Christ. And I know that sounds a little bit of a churchy phrase, freedom in Christ, if you're not familiar with the Bible or, or church. What I mean by that is in Christ, when you turn from your sins and you give yourself fully to him, you say, my hope for this life and the following is found solely in Christ. He does for me what I could never do for myself. You are set free from your sins. You're set free from the punishment of sin and the power of sin. You're set free to live fully for him, not according to worldly rules, but according to his word and his love and his power. When you have that freedom, though, live as free people, but don't use your freedom as a way to conceal evil. We're not set free in order to do whatever we want to. Galatians 5.13, you were called to be free, brothers, only don't use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Freedom in Christ, you've been set free from sin, doesn't mean I do whatever I want to do. Romans 6.1, should we continue in sin so that grace may multiply? No, we don't continue in sin. We've experienced God's grace, and that sets us free from sin. Freedom is meant to lead us to serve the Lord fully. I may have given this illustration before, but this is the, the way I think about it. When I was trying to finish up my dissertation for, for PhD, 
Amanda, we were living in, in New Orleans at the time, Amanda loaded up the kids and drove to Oklahoma so that I would have several days to get this dissertation finished, to, to get it wrapped up. So we have three young children. She's going to drive 13 hours in the car by herself to Oklahoma. So I had freedom. I invited a bunch of friends over to the house. I slept in every day. I went golfing a couple of times that week. No way. We're still married. You know that didn't happen. There's not a chance that that happened. No. When she set me free to do that by taking the kids and going to Oklahoma, I didn't use that freedom to have parties and go golfing and sleep in. I used that freedom so that I could give myself fully to what was right in front of us. When Christ sets us free, we don't use that freedom to say, now I'll do whatever I want to. We use that freedom to say, Lord, how do I live fully for you? How do the use of my body, the use of my money, the use of my time, how does that honor you? And so then we have to begin to ask these questions of, okay, how does that play itself out in just regular, everyday decision-making? I want to give you a pattern that we're going to use over several weeks. Um, this is a pattern for how you can answer questions when you have questions in your own life or your friends or family bring up questions about, should I do X or should I do Y? People come up and ask you, what does the Bible say about this particular thing? Um, this is a pattern that I've found helpful, and we're going to walk through it because it can shape how you read Scripture. In Scripture, we find, we find prescriptions, and, and I use prescriptions because I desperately need another P word so that they all started with the letter P. But prescriptions means a straightforward statement. This is what God is prescribing. He's saying, do this. Then we find patterns. You read the Bible beginning to end, and you, you see these general patterns. You see the way God continues to emphasize certain things over and over from beginning to the end. And then we also have things called principles. We read a passage of Scripture, and we find a principle. We find a general idea about this is who God is. This is how God desires his people to live. And it may not apply exactly to the question I'm asking, but it does give me an idea of what God expects of his people. So when you're reading scripture and you're trying to deal with particular issues, you're looking for specific passages, you're looking for patterns throughout scripture, and you're looking for general principles that will guide you. So should I have a tattoo? Are tattoos okay? Can a Christian have a tattoo? That's a question that we might, we might kick around, we might hear. We're going to address that question using this pattern, but you're going to find us taking a couple of detours because it it's brings into play much broader issues here. There's one verse in the Bible that seems to address this question most specifically. Um, it's found in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 28. Leviticus 19, 28 says, You shall not make any cuts on your body for the dead or tattoo yourselves. I am the Lord. I remember in youth group, when I was a 10th grader, there was a guy who had just come to faith in Christ, and he read this Bible, and he had a tattoo, and he completely panicked. And panicked is not an overstatement, because he was sure that that tattoo had separated him from the hope of Christ. He was a young believer, was just coming to understand the Bible, just coming to understand what it meant to follow Jesus, and he was really in a teenage panic over whether or not he could ever be a Christian because he had run into that verse. Now, when we find a verse like that, we're always asking, okay, Lord, 
I never want to come along and find a reason to discount your word. I'm not coming along trying to find a way to justify myself, but how do we make sense of that? Most likely those references to marking your body for the dead or tattooing yourselves are in reference to pagan rituals that were going on in reference to the dead. They were, they were trying to conjure up some sort of pagan spiritual power. And then you notice in verse 27 that comes right before that, you shall not round off the hair on your temples or mar the edges of your beard. Now, I wore a tie today, which meant I definitely did not shave, but uh, I tried to make sure it was very straight because I knew this verse was, uh, was coming into play. You know, do you, uh, do you worry about verse 27 and not 28, or do you worry about 28 and not 27? How do you try to make sense of this? Well, these verses in your Bible, if you're not familiar with the book of Leviticus, it comes in the beginning part of the Bible in what's called the law. And we have these laws that are laid out for God's people, Israel, and then we're continually faced with this question as Christians, how does the Old Testament law apply to our lives today as followers of Jesus? And can I just tell you that there's probably no more complicated and no more important question than trying to deal with that. That's one of those questions that can shape your whole life in your reading of Scripture. You're going to continue to come back to these things. There's a group of guys that I do an email Bible reading devotion with, and this is a question that's come up, for, come up for us. How do I make sense of this? Well, Romans, which is a New Testament book that Paul gave us, Romans chapter 7, but now we are released from the law having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. And you say, oh, great, look, I don't have to do anything that's in the Old Testament. Eh, it's not quite that simple. There's, there's more to it. There's more going on there. So what we find is there's one verse, one prescription that deals directly with having a tattoo. It's probably not, almost certainly not, a wholesale, you can never have a tattoo. There's more happening there. So what do we do next? We look for a pattern. We look for a pattern. The pattern in Scripture begins in Genesis 1 where God creates what? He creates bodies. So we know from the beginning of Scripture that the human body is a good gift from God. And this is very important because when we think about Christianity, and you've got to be very careful in your own life, and you're going to see this all throughout culture, but if we're not careful, we think of Christianity is just dealing with the soul or the spirit, and it really doesn't have anything to do with how I live in my body. Oh, contraire. It has everything to do with the way we live in the body because that body is a gift from the Lord. And through sin, not only did we fall into sin and we're separated from God, but our bodies were affected by that. The way that we live in this body was affected by sin, and the body can be used for good. The book of James in the New Testament says you can use your tongue and you can speak words of praise and encouragement, or you can use your tongue and you can speak curses. You can use it for good or you can use it for evil. And so when God came and brought salvation through Jesus, it wasn't just a salvation where, okay, now I'm made right with God, my soul is good. It's meant to transform every part of our life, including the way that we use our body. Our body is part of God's work of salvation. The pattern you find throughout scripture leads to the resurrection. And the resurrection is not just the resurrection of the soul, it's the resurrection of the body. 
that for all of eternity we will have a body. Not exactly like this one, but a real body for sure according to 1 Corinthians 15. So the pattern of scripture is the body is a good gift from God. Sin affects our bodies and yet through Christ the body can be redeemed to be used for the Lord and that will be true for all of eternity. So that's kind of the pattern we see. What are some principles from the Bible? I've laid out uh, maybe five or something like that on, on the screen. I think they're on your notes as well. This is where I've given you five. As you do your Bible study, you're gonna find 50. You're gonna find more and more things about how God's word addresses this. But I wanted to bring up a couple of, that you could go back and look at later. And then we're gonna jump into 1 Corinthians 6 as our core text. Mark chapter seven, Jesus is dealing with the Pharisees. They're worried about their cups being clean. They're worried about what type of food they're eating. And Jesus comes along and he says, it's not what goes into the body that makes you unholy. It's what comes out of the body. It's your actions. It's your attitudes. It's, those are the things. These Pharisees would testify to Jesus with their mouths, but their hearts were far from him. They would make up additional commandments beyond the commandments of God that people had to follow to be holy. And Jesus says, you've misunderstood holiness. Holiness does affect your body, but it's not about what you put in your body or on your body. It's about what comes out of your body. It's about the results of your life. 1 Peter chapter 3. This is an interesting text about tattoos because it doesn't say anything about tattoos. But here's what 1 Peter 3 talks about. And it's addressing females particularly, but it, it applies to all people. 1 Peter 3, Peter says, don't worry about adorning yourself with jewelry or clothing or things that would draw attention to yourself. Focus on a gentle spirit and holy actions. In other words, we're not supposed to treat our body in such a way that we want to draw attention to ourselves. We want to live in our body in such a way that we point other people to Christ. What does that say about a tattoo? We'd be very careful about anything designed to draw attention to ourselves and not point people to Christ. Did I just say you can't have tattoo? Not at all. This is a big issue. These are the things we're trying to think through. But 1 Peter 3 says, be careful about drawing attention to yourself because that's not the point of the body. 1 Timothy 4, this will set you free. Bodily training is of some value but godliness is of greater value. So it's not that the use of your body, that godly training is unimportant. In fact, it's, it is important how we treat our body, how we handle our body, but godliness is of even greater importance. Romans 14. Oh man, this is important. If you picked one passage to go read this afternoon, pick, pick this one. Romans 14 is the passage where Paul is dealing with the question of those who have weak faith and those who have strong faith. And he's dealing there not with tattoos, he's dealing with the food that we eat. And he's saying that some believers have a very weak conscience. Doing something really bothers them. They feel like they shouldn't be doing this. Other people, they have such strong faith in the gospel of Jesus that they're not bothered by these other things. So should they get to do whatever they want? No, and Paul's view in, in, in Romans 14 as he's writing there, He's saying that those who have strong faith should make sure that they don't make the weak stumble. In other words, if you have a strong faith, a strong conscience, don't use that freedom in such a way that it causes another believer to stumble. 
Which means if I want to do something and I know it's going to hurt the spiritual walk of someone else, I need to be very careful about taking that step because it may be more pride than it is the use of a strong faith. Ephesians 6, ha, principles. Kids, obey your parents. Mom and dad say no tattoo, no tattoo. Parents, raise your, does some kid amen that? Or uh, I didn't hear that. Parents, parents, listen to this one. Raise your children in the Lord. What does that have to do with a tattoo or anything to do with the body? Am I, oh man, hear me out, parents. Am I more concerned with my kids being followers of Jesus or looking like good religious kids? Do I want to raise my kids in the Lord or do I want to raise my kids in the Christian subculture? I hope I want to raise my kids in the Lord. That when they think about being a follower of Jesus, They think of giving themselves fully to the Lord, not did I match all of dad's rules about what it means to be a good follower of Jesus. Kids, obey your parents. Parents, raise your kids in the Lord, not in a particular version of Christianity that matches what you think it looks like to be a good follower of Jesus. Do you see how these principles get you closer to the answer, even though they may not actually address the thing you're thinking about? Okay, 1 Corinthians 6. Let's look at this, because this is the passage that I think gets closest to helping us understand what does it mean to honor God with our body? If you're not a follower of Jesus and you think about Christians you've seen that live their lives in a way that seems very hypocritical, this is the type of passage that, that ties into that. This is a passage that could help you understand more about what it means to follow Jesus. 1 Corinthians 6, we're going to start in... Verse 12, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach, and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. Okay, so these verses here, You'll notice that most, if you're looking at a hard copy in front of you, or even if you're looking at your phone, you're probably going to see this. A couple of these phrases are in scare quotes, they're in quotation marks. They're probably slogans that are very close to what Paul would have preached. They're very close to what Paul would have preached, and people were holding on to these slogans. So Paul says, you have freedom in Christ. You are set free from the law. You were set free from your past. You were set free from sin. And the people said, that's great. Everything is lawful for me. I can do whatever I want. And Paul says, yeah, but not all things are helpful. You might be free, but just because you're free to do something doesn't mean you should do something. Teenagers, add that to like rule number three of life. Just because you're free to do something doesn't mean that you should do something. Then they come around, they say, yeah, yeah, all things are lawful for me. And Paul says, but I will not be dominated by anything. Here's the reality, and, and oh my goodness, we see this playing out across our society. We live in a world that loves the idea of personal freedom. You can't tell me what to do. I will do whatever I want to do. Completely individualistic. Did you know that I can be an amazing slave driver? (laughs) These attempts, every attempt in the world to find freedom apart from Christ will lead you deeper into slavery. 
This idea that says, I can do whatever I want, that's not freedom. Because you're going to find yourself enslaved to your circumstances. You're going to find yourself enslaved to your emotions. You're going to find yourself enslaved to the expectations of people around you. This idea that I can do whatever I want to is incredibly enslaving. And so Paul is coming along and he's saying, yes, you've been set free in Christ, in order that you're not dominated by anything else. This is what burns Paul up in Colossians chapter two. Paul is so fired up in Colossians two because the people are in danger of being dominated by their past. They're being dominated by other people's religious experiences. They're being dominated by all of these worldly rules. And he says, you've been set free from that. Don't go back under that. Don't be dominated by anything other than Christ. Food is meant for the stomach, and the stomach for food. I can live how I want to. I'm going to give myself. And Paul says, yeah, but you're giving yourself to something that is not ultimately going to survive, that's not ultimately going to lead to the things of the Lord. Okay, quick stop for some application here. We live in a world where it's very easy and very common that we can become addicted to food. That this idea of feeding ourselves is not just for health, but it becomes a means of comfort. Uh, It becomes um, something we do because we can't find peace anywhere else. And so we find ourselves becoming addicted to food. If you want to track this down a little bit, if, if this is something that you find yourself struggling with, one resource that you can look at is on YouTube, you'll find some videos called the Keybone Project. Uh, Keybone is K-E-A-H-B-O-N-E, the Keybone Project. Mike Keybone was my youth minister when I was in high school. He pastors a church up in the north part of Oklahoma City, and Mike is a guy who's always struggled with his weight. And he goes through an entire year with these YouTube videos of day after day documenting his desire to find freedom in Christ instead of seeking that out in the comfort of food. And the good thing about these videos is that Mike is very vulnerable in them, but he takes it from a spiritual growth perspective. He's not just trying to lose weight. He wants to lose weight because he knows that his body is very unhealthy. But he doesn't just want to lose weight. He wants to make sure that he's not being dominated by anything else other than the hope of Christ. He starts the videos um, with struggling with diabetes. When he gets to the end of the videos after a year, he's pre-diabetic. He talks about the hope that he found, the freedom that he found, the way that improved his life, improved his pastoring. If that's something that you find yourself struggling with, you may want to check those videos out and and just see the way that the Lord worked through Mike's life. But there's another side to this. There's the side where we can become dominated by being obsessed with health, being obsessed with our physical experience. If you'll take this supplement, then you'll really find life. If you'll do this workout, then you'll really find true life. That can be just as addicting as food could be addicting for someone. In scripture, it says don't be dominated by anything other than Christ. We're seeking to be set free from those things. Why? Why is this such a big deal? Well, it goes on in verse 13, and it says the body, and there's going to be a transition here, 
Um, there's going to be the body is not meant for sexual immorality. Sexual immorality here standing for the way that we would just live however we want, use your body for whatever purpose you want. It's not meant for that, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us by his powers. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? No, never let that be the case. There's a statement that we used a couple of times at Emmaus, and I think it's on your notes there. Under 1 Corinthians 6, there's a pattern that shows up all throughout Scripture. It's this pattern. Everything we have is from God. Everything we have is for God. And that idea comes from this verse right here. Everything that I have, my body, my time, my resources, all of that comes from God. And everything I have from God is intended for God's purposes. So if I have a body, then I'm going to use that body for God because he is the only reason I have that and he is the only ultimate purpose for my body. Skip down a little bit to verse 19. Paul gets to the very core of it in verse 19. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? Sometimes Paul will use temple language for the body of Christ, meaning the church that's gathered together. Sometimes he'll use temple language in reference to individuals. Here's a, it's the individual use of it. So do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Tattoos, food, working out, sexual relationships, it does not matter. Anything involving our body, we are reminded that we were bought with a a price. We are not our own. The only reason I have life is because God has given it. The only purpose of my life is that I would use it fully for him. That's all that matters at the very end. So how do we make sense of this with tattoos? What what about this? Well, prescription. There's one Old Testament law that seems to speak against tattoos, and it seems to speak about something very specifically unrelated. What's the pattern? Well, the pattern we've already talked about, that everything I have is from God, everything I have is for God. I can use my body for sin, or I can use it for the Lord, Use it for the Lord. Principles. Be a good steward. Be a good steward of what God has given you. Pursue holiness. Understand that some people have weak faith. Some people have strong faith. Whatever you do, do it for God's glory and to point other people to Christ. I wrote a couple of response statements there on your notes. God, make me a good steward of the body you've given me. Some of you are facing incredible health challenges right now. Some of you are facing addictions in your life that nobody else knows about, things that you feel so dominated by and you so much want to be set free from. God, you've given me this body. I know that it's affected by sin, but I want it to be used for you. God, call me to holiness in every aspect of life. Whatever I put in my body and on my body, let it be holy. Let it be used for your purposes. God, help me to live for the good of others, not myself. God, use me for your glory and your kingdom. And I'm not my own. I was bought with a price. So in my body, whether in sickness or in health, I want to honor you 
in every way. Here's how I want us to wrap up this morning. I want you to see these verses from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. The reason this topic is so important is not that you would go home and debate whether or not to have a tattoo. The reason this is important is not that you would go home and tomorrow morning wake up and face a personal battle about whether you should eat or go to the gym. Those things matter. Those things are important. But what I do not want you to miss is that our hope being here this morning is that Christ gave his body for us so that we would have salvation and so that our lives would be transformed. There's a heresy that was out there in the early church that Jesus only seemed to be human. He was really just spirit and he just kind of showed up in a human body. No, no, no. Jesus was fully human. He had a body as we do and he gave his body completely for us. We're going to celebrate that in a moment through the taking of the Lord's Supper. We're not just eating that cracker, but we're remembering that he gave himself fully for us. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul's dealing with a people, if the dead are not raised, if there's no such thing as the resurrection, if we got here this morning out of religious obligation, not because of the resurrection, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. This was a statement that people would use. If we are here this morning to make ourselves feel better and there's no hope of the resurrection, do whatever you want to with your body. Eat, drink, do whatever. Tomorrow we die and then it all ends. It doesn't matter what you do with your body. But, but if there is a resurrection, if what Jesus said and what Jesus did really is true, that changes everything. When the perishable, what's gonna end, puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that's written. And here's this famous saying from verse 55. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. All of that's gone away. We're set free. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ.